This is Two Guys in the Bible, a conversation on theology, culture, and God's Word. My name is Eric Leupold, and I am joined today by my brother in the Lord, Dylan Keniston. Hello, Dylan. How are you doing today? Hey, welcome back. Connor. Welcome back. Man. <laughs> welcome back. Good to be back, brother. Yeah. I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing great. And for those of you just tuning in, uh, Dylan had been away uh, from our, our last episode uh, because of a big transition in life. Um, so, I mean, that's going well. Yeah, yeah. Our first fo- uh, our first journeys into home ownership. We are. My wife and I are now <laughs> homeowners. We're very excited about it. But. Uh, you know, it being our first home purchase, it is a bit of a fixer upper. So we're excited for the challenge, but a challenge it will be. And, uh, you know, with the Lord's help, we trust we'll overcome. But uh, yeah, so we've been very, very busy with that. Certainly hands are full with packing and getting everything ready, yeah. all the ducks in a row before we actually move in, yeah. uh, which Lord willing, we are targeting end of April. I think. End of April. Um, so we'll see. We'll see how that how that goes. Yeah, man. No, no. Uh, ownership of a house is awesome. Yeah, man. Great responsibility. Sometimes some headaches, but <laughs> usually a good blessing yes, in the end. Yes, we are grateful for it. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah. And I'm just thankful that uh, you've been able to, to join me and uh, recording. I know uh, in the middle of a very busy schedule. Um, and I know things will stabilize eventually. And, you know, hopefully we'll be able to get back into a routine. But, hey, we can be flexible and play it by ear, and that's what we're doing. Yeah, so Lord willing, this this summer uh, is what kind of mm-hmm. I'm I'm targeting. We're we're targeting to get back into the saddle at a more regular cadence. Uh, hopefully, at that point, things will start cooling off, and yeah. we will be settled in where we're living, um, and we'll have some semblance of routine back oh. in our lives. So we're very much looking forward to that. But in the meantime, yeah, um, yeah sorry, I was. MIA last episode. Hey, that's okay. That's okay. I hope I did okay um, uh, trying to tackle uh, the judgment of God, uh, part one, I should say. Uh, for those of you uh, just tuning in, a uh, quick recap last time. Um, last I, time I uprooted my family. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Hold on. Hold on. Quick backstory for the listeners, yes. just because it was funny. Poor uh, Eric's wife, uh, Renee, was razzing him a little bit because at the intro of the last episode, and I listened to it, I just listened to it uh, not too long ago. At that intro, he was like, and Dylan uprooted his family. And she like took that to me in like really negative, like a bad yes. thing, like I was doing something really. Yeah. And of course, Eric didn't mean it that way. Yes. <laughs> and I told your brother, it's okay. When I listened it's to funny. it, I didn't I didn't take it that way anyway. So, but yes, uh, we are being uprooted. I That's guess. right. <laughs> not in a negative way. A good uprooted. Replanting. A good uprooting. A replanting. 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 That's so good, brother. That's a better. I should have done that my first time. All right, well. Well, that's too funny. That's all right. <laughs> thank, I love that, you guys. thank you for your grace in that. Um, <laughs> but yes, uh, uh, last time um, I wanted to look at God's judgment, and I, uh, I looked at uh, uh, some passages in Scripture to talk about God's use of of natural events, natural disasters to bring about uh, judgment. Um, we looked at the nation of Israel. We looked at the pagan nations, the land of Canaan. Uh, we looked at uh, the revelation and kind of the end times there. So um, what I wanted to do, and I'm very grateful for Dylan to be here and help me with this, is kind of walking through part two of God's judgment, which uh, I, I, had, I had hinted at in the last episode, uh, had to do with God uh, letting go of the reins uh, in a way. So uh, more of a passive, I, I kind of, and this is just my categorizing of things, um, I just... Uh, one way to categorize it is to look at active judgment versus passive judgment, where actively God sends things like sending hornets or locusts or um, fire from heaven to to bring judgment, uh, or passive in the sense that God just kind of lets things go uh, off the cliff, 
right? They just, they just go downhill naturally. Um, now that, you know, we, we need to take a look at, does that concept exist in scripture? And uh, to kind of lead off the discussion, uh, I wanted to tackle the assumption there, right? So there's an assumption that if if there is such a thing as God passively removing his hand of restraint and letting people do more evil, right, letting them go, uh, the assumption is that God typically, uh, currently is restraining people's sin, okay? So um, we need to kind of prove that assumption before we go any further. So the first passage I wanted to look at is Genesis chapter 20. I think this is probably the most one of the most explicit passages that talks about uh, God directly interfering with someone as to prevent them from sinning. So chapter 20 of Genesis, verses 1 through 6, <clears throat> excuse me, here is um, the story of Abraham and Abimelech, starting in verse 1. From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negeb and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her. So he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, She is my sister? And she herself said, He is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart, and it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So, in that passage... Um, God does interfere, uh, thankfully for Abimelech's sake. Uh, God recognizes that he had made a decision out of integrity, although he lacked all knowledge and uh, he didn't lack the full understanding of the, of the situation. And God gave him a chance to make a right decision. Like, well, now that you know, uh, you can, you know, you need to return her to him. Um, but God explicitly says, uh, I I kept you from sinning against me. I did not let you touch her, right? So that's just passage number one. Passage number two um, is is really the story of Joseph and his brothers. And and I don't want to read the whole thing. It's, it's fairly long, obviously. But in Genesis 37 is the situation where Joseph is sold into slavery. And at first, his brothers want to kill him. And then Reuben, the firstborn, kind of convinces them uh, not to do that and just to really let him get sold into slavery. And at the end of the whole story, in Genesis 50, um, Joseph says, you meant it for evil, and God meant it for good, that uh, many people would be kept alive today, because God had placed Joseph in such a position of authority that he was able to save however many lives um, uh, from, the, from, the, uh, from the famine that was taking place. Um, and then before, Dylan, I want to get your thoughts on this. Uh, I just want to do one last passage, Second uh, Corinthians chapter twelve. Um, not one that always initially comes to mind. Right, I gotta flip in the pages there. Now I found it. So it's Paul's thorn, right? And a lot of people are familiar with the concept of Paul's thorn, but 
I, I do think, and I'm, I myself am guilty of this, I often um, ignore what is said when Paul talks to God about it. So, uh, starting in verse 7 of chapter 12, here's what uh, Paul says. So, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So, what stands out to me, uh, we're not going to get into the discussion about what exactly is the thorn that we're talking about here, but the point of it is, is that it, it was certainly um, a messenger of Satan, but God had allowed it or had sent it. Um, certainly God didn't take it from him when he asked him to, but Paul says twice that it was to keep him from being conceited regarding the greatness of his revelations that he was receiving. So pride. So in this situation, you have a a a a, a, a painful situation that God is actually using to uh, inhibit or restrain someone from going into sin. So those are just a couple examples of how um, this idea of God's hand of restraint that humans are not as evil as they could be. And we can be thankful to God that he doesn't let us sin the way that our hearts would want to sin. So I know that was a kind of a lot there, but I want to get your thoughts on that. I agree. Okay. <laughs> well, that was yes. easy. Common grace and common <laughs> wrath. Uh, when, but but I, I see what you're getting at, I think, in the, in the active versus passive distinction where where there certainly are, and to your point, I think the passages that you are citing here are helpful for, for evidencing the point that, you know, part of God's wrath may include the withdrawal of his presence. Mm. Um, you know, we, we see that, for example, when his presence leaves the temple in Ezekiel's vision, oh, yes. in Ezekiel 10 and, and 11 and following. Um, and, you know, there's no record, even after the temple is rebuilt in Nehemiah's day, of the presence of the Lord ever returning back That's to the true. temple. That's so true. It's, a, it's, a, it's a kind of prophetic, visionary way of saying that God has withdrawn from that place. Um, mm. And then what happens, right? Babylon then ransacks the place. Mm. Uh, so, yeah. Or even King Saul, uh, God, God removed his spirit from from Saul. Another good example. And yeah. and, and, and 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 his grace, uh, his favor left him and and, and rested on David mm -hmm. uh, there. Um, so okay, all right. So the reason we bring that out um, is just to kind of lay the groundwork that yes, there's common grace. God with 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 restrains evil. Okay, um, uh, in us, and so what does it look like when God lets things go? Okay, so the removal of restraint as a form of judgment, when when the when God lets go of the reins and the uh, and the caravan drives off the cliff, and the first passage uh, that I think probably is the best passage to look at really in the whole Bible about this is Romans chapter one. Um, so uh, I'll go ahead and read it. Say a few words, and then I uh, definitely want to get your thoughts on this, Dylan. Uh, so starting in verse 18, uh, going to the end of the chapter, so it's fairly long, but <clears throat> all of it is very important. So uh, let's, let's begin Romans chapter 1. 
For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. All right, we'll stop there. So, a very uh, sobering passage <laughs> right at the beginning of the book of Romans. Um, but uh, a couple of things I want to point out here uh, is that you see this pattern of, at the beginning, uh, let's see, verse 24, verse 26, verse 28, verse 28. Yep. there's this pattern of God, God gave them up, yeah, God, God gave them gave up, them God up. gave God them gave up, them up. Yeah. again and again, yeah. Yeah, so that's kind of where, um, I, I mean, there's, there seems to be something here, like God is doing something, but it begins with what? I mean, it begins with them exchanging the truth of God for a lie, and then kind of it just goes downhill from there. Thoughts, Dylan, on that? Yeah, I, I think it it begins with the suppression of the truth and unrighteousness. And I think, you know, the key part of that passage that you just read from being verses 18 to 21. So knowing that God gives them up, right? Where is that coming from? It's coming from the fact that these the invisible things of God are perceived. They're known. They know God, mm. yet they have not glorified God. They're taking this truth that they... It's not just that, it's not just that they believe in some God or mm. a God that may maybe exists somewhere <laughs> out in the ether. No, they, they know God and they suppress this truth and unrighteousness. Mm. Um, and that is just the greatest folly for Paul. Mm -hmm. um, they, you know God and yet you don't glorify God. It's taking that truth and suppressing it. But it's like a truth it is because it's, it's like a beach ball. You try to stuff it underwater, right? You can hold that thing down, yeah. but eventually that beach ball going to pop right up, right? Eventually, like you can't, we can't hide from this truth. And that is the connection that Paul is then drawing with God's wrath, right? Mm -hmm. It's displayed on 
human beings because be, precisely because we suppress that truth and unrighteousness. Yeah, no, I, exactly. And it's interesting. They refuse to give thanks to him. Yeah. Right. And, you know, some of the things that we should be thankful for, of course, is that God restrains evil and that we don't do as bad as we as we as we could do as our hearts want to do. Um, and this progression in this chapter it's, 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 it just keeps going down, downward, downward spiral. Um, you know, just dishonoring of bodies. He does bring out the concept of, of homosexuality as a, as a, as kind of a highlight point there. And then it ends, the paragraph ends, the section ends on a whole list of things, right? And at the very end, he even says that to, at this point, they not only do these, these wicked things, but they give approval or hearty approval to those who practice them. So kind of like that, you know, they love company, right? They, it's not that they just want to do them. They, they are cheering when everyone else begins to do them too. Right. So, and I, I think it's, it's worth yeah. pointing out that the they in that sentence is everybody. I think it's, part of Paul's uh, point is this great equalization between Jew right. and Gentile, that's right. right? That, all humankind stands condemned yeah. in that we're all kind of on this sinking ship of sin yeah. together, right? Yeah. And we're, we, are, we all have suppressed this truth in, in unrighteousness. Yeah. We all have, though we knew God, did not honor in him as God. That's right. Um, and so, and that's why we need, we need that supernatural grace of Christ, that regenerating work of the Holy Spirit to give us <laughs> eyes to see what's actually going on. Mm-hmm. None of that coming from us or within us. Um, but I think it's interesting mm-hmm. that like here, this, this giving up to a debased mind, you know, like you said in verses 24, 26, 28, is something that can apply across the spectrum of mm-hmm. all of humanity. Uh, and that, that to me is, is sobering. Yeah. Very sobering. No, I mean, no one gets away right. in these passages. I mean, cause Paul begins with all men and then, uh, you know, later on he'll address the Jews mm-hmm. because they have the law, but don't do it. Right. And so at the end where you get to Romans three, you know, you know, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Basically he's, he's first condemning, essentially the Gentiles and then condemning the Jews. And so he condemns everybody because all are condemned. Um, so he's, you know, so there's no one that's particularly picked on, but the point is that this is the pattern of, and, and, and at the very beginning of that passage in verse 18, you know, God's wrath, like, like Paul is mentioning, you know, God's wrath upon mankind. And this is what it looks like. It looks like this downward spiral. So, um, and I think so part yeah. of the beauty of that is, and I, I know it kind of sounds strange to, to speak of the yeah, beauty, beauty in of, some of these passages of what yeah. we're saying, but like all of Paul's argument from Romans chapter one that we just read up to through Romans two, all the way up to towards the end of Romans three is this massive condemnation yeah. of all of humanity. Yeah. But what it leads up to yeah. is this like the, the apex of gospel proclamation yeah. in, in almost all of Paul's letters, right? I think, I forget which theologian, very famous, it might have been Luther, who called this the center of the New Testament. I forget who mm. called it that. But mm-hmm. Romans uh, 3.21 and mm-hmm. following, 
reads, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, Mm. for there there is no distinction, just as in there's no distinction that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God Mm -hmm. and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Mm -hmm. Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. Um, Mm -hmm. There's just so much Mm -hmm. there. But I think one of the reasons why, and Eric, if I can kind of read into some of the, some of the motive for, you know, why is it important that we lean into this concept of God's wrath? Yeah. Why talk about it? Why does it matter? It's uncomfortable, especially in our day and age, right? We don't, it's, it's, it's very sobering to think that a day will come when we will die yeah. and every single one of us will give an account to Nobody the Lord. Nobody likes to talk about it. And yet, it's precisely for that mm-hmm. reason that Christ came to die, that yeah. he came that he was vindicated by the Father, risen from the dead for us, right? You can't we can't see the beauty of the good news yeah. until and unless we see the the tragic situation that we're in. Yeah. I mean, the very word gospel itself, I mean, it means good news. Good news. And the, and the point is, like, you know, if you're going to tell good news to someone, they're like, what's so good about that? Well, the, you know, it's it's good because you were really actually in a very bad situation, and you are right now. Like, I mean, you know, as John says, like... At those, enmity with God. And, yeah, and those who... I think it, was, it might be John 2 or 3 where, where he says that, like, uh, those who reject him, you know, God's wrath abides upon them. Yeah, Like, yeah. you know, you, you know, if you reject Christ, your God's wrath is still abiding. It's remaining. Mm-hmm. on you and that's not a place you want to be and yeah so yeah. one of the things that's interesting about that i heard uh, i think <coughs> dr carson put it this way and i think thought it was really helpful you know he made the point that uh, god's wrath is not is is different from like god's wrath is not a temper tantrum it, it, well it's not a temper tantrum yeah. but it's not foundational to his to who he is right you would not say that God is wrath oh, in the like same way that wrathful. you would say that God is love. Yeah, right? yeah. It's not an eternal characteristic. Rather, yeah. God's wrath, it's not like like you said, it's not like he's a temper tantrum or a bad hair day. Yeah. It, it's that God's wrath is is principled anger against that which is flying in the face of righteousness. <laughs> that that which that which undermines his glory it's and that which undermines too, right? goodness and, and it's justice. It exactly. is just, yeah. And that's, you know, the, the point here in uh, Romans three twenty five. this was to show God's righteousness, God's justice. Um, it, because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins, but mm-hmm. it is to say that, you know, God's wrath is his principled response to evil. Yes. And, and here, you know, why would we think of the alternative? Suppose you had a God who had no, principled response to evil yeah. whatsoever you would not have the cross ultimately there wouldn't be no need there would be no need for the cross and and you would not have you would not have the beauty of the cross because part of what the <coughs> cross accomplishes is precisely god's wrath poured out on christ yeah. for our behalf for on behalf of those who believe so yeah. i mean that's a central aspect of the gospel that's yeah. missed and, and an lost. unprincipled god is irrelevant. Yeah. No one cares. No one needs that kind of a God. He's not going to do anything anyways. Right. You know, it's like almost the God of deism, yeah. you know, sets the clock and we're done here. So it's, it's this, so God withdrawing his hand, God mm-hmm. giving people up, mm-hmm. right? It, it's almost like this, this relationship is broken. This connection is broken. Yeah. We are now as human beings 
in this state of sin severed from the God of life who is the source of all life. And because we're now disconnected from that God, there is only death and his certain judgment to anticipate. And yet in the midst of that, here comes Christ in this gospel that reestablishes that connect that connection. It's almost like in union with Christ, we have the hand of God put back on us mm-hmm. such that, you know, now, you know, to the extent that, you know, whatever circumstances we may face in this life may be part and parcel. Like we would not say as children of God that we are under God's wrath if, if, if circumstances arise to us under God's sovereignty that are difficult, right? We would say God disciplines Discipline. those he loves, yeah right? As a loving father, because it's through union with Christ, God kind of puts his hand back on us as a father. Yeah, Yeah. that's exactly right. No. And that's really the point that we're trying to hit on with these passages. Um, And there's one more, I guess, kind of large-ish passage that I wanted to read through. It's only 12 verses, so it's not too large. But um, this one, a lot of people either don't read this passage because it's kind of in one of the obscure books, 2 Thessalonians. um, But uh, or they just kind of skim over it and don't really think through. Then I'm I'm one of them as well. Um, when I started chewing on this passage and thinking through it, it was very interesting to consider. So I'll just read Second Thessalonians chapter two, uh, verses one through twelve. Um, so here's what Paul says to the church in Thessalonica. He says, "Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to Him." We ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word, or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come, unless the rebellion comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called god or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming." The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan, with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore God sends them a strong delusion, so that they may believe what is false, in order that all may be condemned, who did not believe the truth but had a pleasure in unrighteousness. So... Obviously, the context of the passage has to do with the, the second coming of Christ, and preceding that is the coming of the lawless one. Um, obviously, we're not going to get into a long discussion on eschatology here, but the, the simple point is that whenever this lawless person comes, it's going to be by the activity of Satan, it's going to have power, and there's going to be false signs and wonders, maybe not unlike what the, what the um, Egyptian magicians were able to do with some of the plagues of Egypt. They could duplicate some of them mm. at the beginning, but they couldn't do it at the end. So there is there is a concept that throughout Scripture of satanic activity having signs, wonders, and miracles. Um, but it's, it's never on par, I should say, with what God can do. But the point here is that in verse 11, it says, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false. And why? 
because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. So you have this same pattern that Paul kind of got at in Romans chapter 1 where these people refuse something. They refuse to love the truth. They refuse to be saved. And so in a way, God's like, okay, have it your way and here's a strong delusion so that you actually believe what is false. It's like very strong uh, language and it results in their their condemnation. And it says, because these people did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. They loved uh, unrighteousness. So such strong parallels to Romans chapter one there. Thoughts on that? that yeah, this, I mean, this is kind of, so one, one thought that mm-hmm. may be tempting to indulge mm-hmm. is this notion that, well, you know, is God somehow on the hook here or at fault mm-hmm. for sending a strong delusion? You know, is God kind of lying? And the short answer is no, right? We worship a God <laughs> yeah. who is God of truth. Um, but in God's sovereignty, he may as, do exactly as we've been saying. He may give people over to the the depravity of their own minds. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it sort of reminds me kind of a flip side of the same coin, uh, something that Jesus said at one time. You know, Jesus said, because I tell you the truth, you will not believe, mm. right? Now, if you think about that, that would be bad enough if he had said, although I tell you the truth, you do not believe. Yeah. Because at least then, if he said, although, it's like, well, I'm telling you the truth, you still don't believe. But he says, because I tell you the truth. In other words, it's the truth causing the unbelief. That's very interesting. So what are you supposed to do? Like tell tell lies? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like Jesus is not going to do that, right? So he's yeah. like, look, because I'm telling you the truth, you're not going to believe. So Mm. At the end of the day, God is, quite frankly, this kind of turns back to uh, God is sovereign, right? He's yeah. sovereign over election. He's He's sovereignly orchestrating all of these events for his glory and for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. Uh, so I just wanted to throw that out no, there. No. You know, I, yeah. God is not on the hook here for sending a strong delusion. Yeah. Rather, the strong delusion is exactly the result and the 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 just deserts of what was true in verse 10 because they refused to love the truth yeah. and so be saved. God's just really giving them where they already want to go. Exactly. I'm, I mean, and I, I, we should be thankful that he doesn't just let that happen all the time. Yeah. He does restrain and, and it's this downward spiral and it's slow sometimes. Um, but yeah, I mean, we are already rejecting the truth. Um, one, uh, one last patch I'll mention and then I'm going to throw it together and, and give my uh, my uh, uh, my two cents on that or trying to put it all together is um, in Amos chapter 8 11 and 12 so uh, it's a, obviously Amos is a, is a wonderful book lots of judgment in that book uh, especially towards you know, obviously towards Israel but uh, I just found it interesting because in verse 11 uh, here's what the Lord says he says uh, behold the days are coming declares the Lord God when I will send a famine on the land not a famine of bread nor a thirst for water but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. Um, And this is to the people of Israel who at this point in time have engaged in rampant idolatry. Um, They're not bearing fruit. They're they're doing a whole bunch of wicked things. And basically God says, uh, I'm going to stop talking to them now. Um, They're not going to even try. They're going to try to find it and they won't find it. And this is, it's interesting because there is that several centuries, I forget exactly how long, it might be it might be 400 years, but like the last writing of the book of the Old Testament and then the coming of Christ. 
There's a huge gap mm. where God did not speak to the people of Israel before until he sent his son. So um, now some people might say, well, that sounds like God's doing the silent treatment. You know, that's a very childish thing to do. But uh, bringing in, I mean, and I know that maybe there's some of my own military bias in this as, you know, seeing a military uh, point of view from a lot of things. No. But, but, say it ain't so. Say it ain't so. <laughs> it ain't so. But I just can't help but seeing, um, if you look at it from, like, internationally speaking, right, like, what's the progression of warfare? Where in the first thing that happens when talks begin to break down, you know, the nations pull their ambassadors. They, they pull their consulates and they cut off. Uh, communications with the nation that they're about ready to go to war with. And then, so there's that silent treatment, if you will. There's there's that we're going to stop talking. And then the second thing that happens is, uh, you know, the allies or the one side begins to engage in military deception against the other side. Okay, sending in false codes, sending in, you know, deception, you know, make them, make them think one thing and do a different thing, right? Because you're preparing to engage in warfare. I mean, this is exactly what would have happened prior to the, you know, D-Day invasion. You know, lots of deception was used in order to prep the battlefield for the invasion. And what's the invasion in, in my analogy here? Well, the invasion is actually kind of what I talked about last week, or last, last episode, which was the actual removal from the land of the people, the sending of the famines, wild beast, plague, and, and the sword to remove the people from the land to wage war against the people and so you know kind of what we're talking about here is in a way the the you know the the preamble or the beginnings of uh, the preparing of the battlefield for war we're gonna i'm gonna you know god's gonna stop sending the word and he's gonna start sending deception and that's when things will start to get really bad um you know thoughts on that dylan yeah, yeah. well I, I think that we see something very very similar in israel's history leading up to josiah's rediscovery of the law that's kind mm-hmm. of where where my mind goes mm-hmm. when you make that point um you know we see that in in two kings 22 and there's a there's a parallel account in chronicles but you know basically israel has has you know circled the drain of idolatry mm-hmm. and there's just all kinds of uh, not good stuff going on in the life of the people. Um, and, and that is tied to the fact that in this sim- similar way we're talking about, God had kind of withdrawn uh, his, his word from the land. Mm-hmm. And, and there was, you know, people didn't have access, you know, nowadays we, it's so hard to imagine, right? You don't have access to a Bible, oh, yeah. but you know, we got access to the Bible online. We yeah. got, we got, you know, so many print Bibles. It's like, it's hard to imagine a drought of God's word. And yet, you know the irony of that in our day and age is that there's so much biblical illiteracy that accompanies this That's true. this this uh, embarrassment of riches yeah. in terms of the ease of access Piles we have of to Bibles God's that word. No one reads. Piles of Bibles that no one reads. Piles of Bibles that no one reads. What did Spurgeon say? You know, our our Bibles collect enough dust that we could write damnation with our fingers in the dust on the covers. <laughs> wow. Yeah. But but in in all seriousness, you know, just as condemning as it can be to have an embarrassment of riches of God's word and not pursue it. It can also be equally uh, not good for mm-hmm. a land to not have access to the Bible at all and That's just true. have that drought. And that was the situation. And then we read in 2 Kings 22, yeah. the book of the law and the house of the Lord rediscovered. <laughs> and what does Josiah do? I mean, Josiah, like good king, right? He hears scripture read and he tears his clothes. Yeah. He's like, oh my goodness. I like... 
his mind is just blown. He said, 2 Kings 22, verse 11, when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. He was like, verse 13, go inquire of the Lord for me and tell the people in all of Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. So what does he do? He's tearing down the Asherah poles. He's kicking out the bales, (laughs) right? Dude just institutes like reformation to the to the height to the nth degree and i'm like yes right may it be so of us right like that's just i mean you can't draw a perfect uh straight line from israel then to to our land and and yeah like i get that there's you know (laughs) not not all the things and there's good reason biblically for that of course but this but the notion of reformation has been there are times in the history of god's people when he visits people with reformation mm-hmm. and when that comes it is almost always without exception attendant with a rediscovery of god's word mm. a reconnection with yeah. god's word yeah. that's how that's how reformation happens revival and reformation. that's how revival happens yeah. right is it's through the word and so and and that's not by accident so for god to withdraw that is is a terrifying prospect so yeah. Yeah, just it's something to be mindful of. Like how how fortunate are we yeah. to have such easy access to it? <clears throat> and this ties into, um, you know, we talked about before the common grace concept, which is all throughout Scripture, of course, but explicitly Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus in verse 43 tells the disciples, you've heard it was said, you shall love your na- neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son... Rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. So, I mean, Jesus points it very clearly. Like, God is giving good things to everybody, the wicked and the righteous. Um, And what you just said about God's word being a blessing to any nation that possesses it and and reads it and follows it— as the church, as God's covenant people in the new covenant, the possessors or holders of the word, proclaimers of the word, um, when the church is present in large numbers, it's a blessing. It's supposed mm-hmm. to be a blessing. And if it's the you know genuine believers, it is a blessing mm-hmm. on a nation. And it's just, it's again, the Lord's use of irony that when a nation persecutes the church and suppresses the word of God and tries to destroy it, they're, they're, they actually suffer for it. That mm. nation suffers for it because it's removing from itself the word of the Lord, which is a which is a blessing. Yeah. I mean, that was God's judgment against Israel. He removed His own word from them, but now nations do it to themselves. You know, so I just found that to be just an interesting thing to think about. Yeah. How they think they're doing the right thing, or they're they're improving themselves by getting rid of the church, but they're actually hurting themselves mm-hmm. at the end of the day because of that removal of God's blessing. It's always either the removal of God's word or the, the abuse slash perversion of God's word that historically has wrought the most tragedy and bloodshed. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. It's just, it's another sobering thought, but it's, but there's a lot of truth to that. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, kind of just as we, Get, I mean, there's a couple more thoughts I had here, but the the point of it all is that it's very easy when we think about God's judgment and wrath. Everyone typically defaults to saying, oh, yes, fires from heaven. 
and earthquakes and tsunamis and things like that. But but that's just one half of the of the picture there. And and one could say that let's say in the United States, for example, the way our culture is is uh, from a Christian perspective going downhill. One while while it's true that 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 could lead to God's wrath coming against us. I would also argue that it is it is an expression of God's wrath. When God gives a nation over to their sinful desires and lets them lets them go their way and do their thing, and he removes their hand, his hand of restraint from them, that is a form of wrath and judgment. Mm. That is the judgment upon them. And it could lead to further things, of course. But uh, well, I think you made an analogous point in the previous episode, right? That uh, it's not just... God's people, Israel, in the old covenant that yeah. were held accountable yeah. to obedience to God. You know, put it I'll put it as broadly as that, right? That yeah. that the surrounding nations likewise, there's there's an accountability there. Yeah. And so I don't think that your analysis is off when you say, look, you know, likewise nations today yeah. have responsibility <laughs> yeah. for for acting, behaving, governing in yeah. a manner that reflects the wisdom, the goodness, and the goodness of God, the principles found in, in his word. And I know that that's a whole other rabbit yeah. trail, but but I do think those are some things that we can say. Yeah. Um, and, and it, yeah, it would not, it would not be surprising to see, you know, continued evidence of decline mm-hmm. the world round. I mean, you know, America and, and surrounding nations, mm-hmm. you know, um, with, with less and less of biblical truth permeating the people and the hearts of the people. Yeah. Um, you know, they say in democracy, people get the leader they deserve. That's right. Um, you know what I mean? That's right. And, and that, I think, and that's not a comment about our current it's, president. In it's some a, ways, it's not just democracy. It, it, yeah, that's true. It's not just democracy. But but I, I, I think we can see, you know, there there is, I mean, do you see a Winston Churchill around anymore? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like not too many Reagans around, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, um, and, and I'm not, I'm not trying to put these men up on pedestals. I'm simply saying, you know, what does it look like to govern with, with some wisdom? <laughs> mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, again, that's not a comment about our current sure. leadership or even sure. the leadership in the Western world or the world broadly. It, it is to say that, you know, it's a comment come, on the culture. It's a comment on the culture. And it is to say, you know, come Lord Jesus and yeah. continue to fill in in the interim, continue to fill your people with wisdom that the church may be a beacon of light to the yeah. world. Yeah, and <clears throat> one thing I wanted to point out, I think a, I, probably the book that best highlights what we're talking about is is maybe the book of Jonah, because hmm. there you have um, even God even describes Nineveh. Uh, they're not they're not Israelites. They're not the covenant people, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so they're they're pagan Gentiles, and he says they don't know their right hand from their left. Yeah, but that doesn't give them a pass. Right, because he says, judgment's coming upon Nineveh, and these people need to hear, repent, and believe. Like, yeah. they need to hear the gospel. So, they're already condemned, even though they, they, they are ignorant of a lot of things. But they're not ignorant enough, just like, you know, Paul gets that later on. You know, they can they, they don't have an excuse for their behavior. And so, so God says, Jonah, go. And Jonah knows that to hear the word of the Lord is a blessing. Yeah. And he also knows... He's that, like, I don't even want to do it. <laughs> that to restrain the yeah. word of the Lord is judgment. And yeah. he wants judgment upon yeah. Nineveh. He does right. not want the word of the Lord to come to them. Mm-hmm. So he flees, right? He withholds the word of the Lord himself 
as he's acting as judge over Nineveh. Right. Whereas God says, no, it's time to show them grace. It's time to bring them mercy. And and what does Jonah complain about at the end? He complains that he knows that when they hear the word, they're going to repent. And mm -hmm. he does not want them to do that. Mm -hmm. He does not want them to repent. So it's just interesting how you see the theme of God's word is a blessing. Its absence is a judgment. And even people who aren't the covenant people are held accountable yeah. to, to, to repent and believe. And in our culture today, the, the, the Bible is so prolific and so widespread that most nations really have no excuse. They, they've heard or they have in their possession the word of God. Mm. You know, unlike Nineveh, they didn't have the word of the Lord until Jonah came. Mm. But, uh, uh, you know, our nations today as blind or ignorant? I don't think so. You know, maybe in some parts of the world. But, uh, you know, anyways... Just some thoughts there. Um, before we, you know, close out, I just wanted to to end that uh, when we wrap it all together, this concept of judgment, and you mentioned this earlier, Dylan, about how it points to the need for Christ. You know, Romans one mentions the lack of thankfulness. We should be thankful that God restrains evil, that He gives us His word, and He blesses us with rain and sunshine and things we don't deserve, right? And we should be amazed at how fragile civilization is, and um, I know, you know, Jordan Peterson is a, I don't believe he's a Christian man, but he's got, he's been blessed with common grace. But whenever he, he was giving a speech and he was reflecting on the sinfulness, he wouldn't call it sinfulness of man, but on the, on human nature. And I just, one, one quote that stuck in my mind is when he said that every morning he wakes up and he's surprised that it's not a riot with everything burning. Mm. Like, <laughs> like after studying the darkness that humans are capable of, yeah. every morning he's amazed. Hey, it's not a riot. And it's not like chaos and anarchy in the streets. You know, it's not like the time of judges where every man did what was right in his own eyes. Like that is anarchy. That is chaos. And quite literally, that's thanks be to God. That exactly. That's exactly right. Like he he's thankful, but he's not thankful to God. And the, and the key here, and Paul says in Romans 1, we need to be thankful to God that he does bless us with so many things. And we have no excuse. We can't claim ignorance for choosing evil. All we can do is repent. And only God can open our eyes. And his word is truth, John 17, 17. It's what, it's what cleanses us. So we need to surrender to God to be at peace with him. So final thoughts on this topic, Dylan? Yeah, I and mean, I would just say, you know, there might be somebody out there who's listening who might hear what we're saying and think to themselves, you know, well, I haven't really felt like God is speaking to me. I haven't really felt hmm. connected with God. Um, has he withdrawn from me, right? Is that because I'm under his judgment? And so I would say, if that's you, um, first of all, Probably the fact that you're asking the question with genuine concern, the answer is probably no, mm. right? Um, it is to say that, you know, there is a connection between the how robust one's spiritual health is mm. and regularity in the word and prayer. I would say that. Um, but I would say, you know, if you're if you're out there and you're, you know, you're regularly in the word, you're in prayer, but you feel like you're going through a spiritual rut or a, a season where you just find it difficult to connect with the Lord, I would say, you know, what does it look like for you to be faithful in that context, mm -hmm. right? Keep pursuing the Lord, like stay in the word, stay in prayer and pray that the Lord would, would 
would use his word to open up your mind until the truth is so absorbed therein that your heart just starts to absorb that truth from your mind and begin to sing and and delight in the beauty that is that truth and the beauty that of of who God is like the holy spirit and and the blessings that the spirit wrought within us are they come through the word and through that time that I mean the the Bible's reading you <laughs> just yeah. like just like you're reading it um so so I would say you know if you're out there no it does not automatically mean that if you feel like you're th- going through a period where the Lord has you feel like his hand is taken off of you does not mean that it is there are other pointers and we've talked about many of them and other evidences to to be mindful of to to try and assess if that's something that may be true not only in the culture's case, but in the case of a person individually. But I'd say, if you're even concerned about it, if you're asking the question, and yet you're regularly in the words seeking the Lord, right? Yeah. I'd say, continue that pursuit. The Lord will bless yeah. that. That's right. Today's a day of salvation. Amen. Yeah. Well, um, we really are thankful for you guys uh, tuning in and listening to us talk about this uh, very weighty and important, important topic. Um, if you have any questions for us uh, about this topic or related topics, please uh, go to our website at um, and There's a way that you can submit questions there or just email us directly at uh, twoguysinabible.podcast.gmail.com. And we're on Facebook as well. Please share this episode with, with others. You know, Give us thumbs up or stars or reviews because that that's really the the currency of the social media world and that's what we're really um really you know asking for really i mean just to get the word out there uh we're trying to be as faithful as possible to scripture so um if you if you believe that we're doing that please uh please consider supporting us in that endeavor so um with that until next time god bless god bless you